Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Some of you know I I did miss uh, like two or three Sundays recently. Uh, We had, uh, my wife and I, we had a little vacation. We ended up going to Portugal. Uh, My wife, for those of you that don't know, she's Portuguese. She's my Portuguese queen that's over there. So uh, we went, though, but there was a specific reason why we went. Uh, We went there for a wedding of a couple that comes to our church. Edwin and Christina got married. And here in the back, you'll see one of their wedding pictures there. So when you see Edwin and Christina, make sure you congratulate them. They had their wedding in Portugal, and they invited me to officiate the wedding over there. So it was great to be there with them. Something else that I loved about Portugal is Portugal has great coffee and pastel de natas. Thank God for pastel de natas and coffee here uh, for those of you that don't know what pastel de natas are, those are those beautiful little things that it seems like Jesus makes himself in the back in the baking area. So they're amazing. Uh, my issue is that I, it's hard for me just to eat one or just to eat two. I want to eat like the whole box, but they're delicious. And I know that you know, we might have our favorite coffee. Like I know, you know, my parents are from Cuba and Cubans make good coffee. And, you know, some people might say Colombians make great coffee. Uh, you know, let me tell you, Portugal's coffee is up there. Portugal, Portuguese coffee, uh, they do an amazing, amazing job. So besides that, because some of you know my wife, she's very adventurous. Um, I'm the one... And I've told you before, uh, I think I've almost died like around five or six times on vacations with Jen. Um, she's very adventurous. When it comes to vacations for me, I'd rather do absolutely nothing. Like put me on the beach just with a good book and just my AirPods uh, like to listen to some worship music or something. I'm good to go. I don't need anything else. But Jen is the type that she wants to wake up early in the morning. She doesn't even let me take my naps or anything. Early in the morning, like at six in the morning, nonstop from town to city to this to that, jump off a bridge, jump off a mountain, dive into this, go scuba diving, whatever she could do. So while we were in Portugal, she saw there was an opportunity to go whale watching. I've never gone whale watching. So I was like, all right, how bad could this be? It's probably a huge boat where we all fit in it. And like, it's very safe and secure and it's not dangerous at all. Just because she's tried to kill me a couple of times. I didn't think that this would be one of them, but sure enough, we go whale watching and it's like this little tiny raft with just a few of us going full speed on the ocean. And there's no way I could describe to you like the experience. So I decided to show you a little video clip of it. So there's a video clip here. 
And it's hard to tell, but that boat is going pretty fast. You know, you're talking to Rio, so it wasn't like a Warnanko Park little lake thing. You know, that, that thing was going pretty fast there. And as you can tell, it wasn't a lot of us. We're pretty much near the back. And I just kept thinking, if I fall off this thing, look at Jen right there. She was so excited. I'm like, this is so much fun. But look what we ended up seeing. You'll see it again. It'll come out. So we ended up seeing pilot whales. And I think, it, what is it? Say whales. See, I forget these things. To me, a whale is a whale. But pilot and say whale. Uh, and it was a great time. I wasn't too nervous because Jen was closer to the edge of the raft. You know what I mean? I was like tucked in. Don't worry if she, was fall, if she would fall off. She knows I would rescue you, right, Jen? <laughs> I'll dive. I'll dive. I know how to swim. <laughs> Jen says everybody for themselves. I would have to rescue my Portuguese queen without question. But uh, it was a great time. And obviously, we got to know about whales. I didn't know much about whales before that. But there's about 40 different types of whales, if you didn't know that. Um, the blue whale, which is the biggest one, it measures 90 feet. 90 feet. Okay, and it weighs close to 300,000 pounds. See, next time if anyone questions, I have to lose a little weight. I'm like, hey, what do you think? I'm a blue whale or something? I'm not that fat. Like, you know, so 300,000 pounds. And something that's really cool the blue whale could live up to 90 years old. 90. So that's pretty impressive, pretty impressive. And as you know, we're going through the Bible, and we've been going through the Bible throughout the entire year, and we're also looking for God's presence in the midst of the Scriptures. And you could almost imagine a little bit the books that we're going to be discussing today, but we will be focusing on Micah and Jonah we're going to touch on Micah, and we're going to go deeper in the book of Jonah. We'll be focusing more on that book. So Micah and Jonah, they were both prophets. Jonah was the prophet for the northern kingdom, and Micah for the southern kingdom. Their ministries didn't overlap. Ten years after Jonah finished his ministry, that's when Micah started his ministry. So there was a 10-year gap between both of their ministries. Both of them had messages of repentance, trying to get people, of course, um, to come back to God. And also, you could, or you could say of God's judgment. God's judgment and repentance, trying to get people to repent. But there was a big difference between the two prophets. And first, I want to highlight Micah. Micah was known as being humble and courageous, humble and courageous. And a famous verse, and even if you've never read the book of Micah, you've probably heard this verse before because it's a famous verse. Micah 6, chapter 8, and it says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? 
to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So many times we wonder, what does God want me to do like in my life? And here Micah is making it clear to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, something else I also want to highlight with Micah, in Micah chapter 3, verse 8, Micah himself, he highlights how he's filled with the presence of God. He's filled with God's power that God has given him. So, so pretty much, it's very evident in the book of Micah that Micah had not only a close relationship with God, but he humbly followed God. He humbly obeyed God. He humbly wanted to do God's will. So that's a great example for each and every one of us. Now, Jonah, on the other hand, he's not known as courageous and humble. Jonah is known as a rebel, as rebellious and disobedient, a rebellious and disobedient prophet. But something I want to highlight, which I think is really important for all of us to remember, is even though some of us might know that he was rebellious and disobedient, uh, he knew God. He had a relationship with God. He had a ministry. He had a title. He was a prophet. But yet this in spite of all those things, his heart was refusing to obey God. And, it's, and I, I have to be honest with you, uh, and those of you that know me close, very close, you, you'll, you'll know this about me. Uh, I don't get impressed with titles. I don't get impre- impressed with, like, I don't, like, all that stuff. And I'm not even talking about from the world. I'm talking about like church stuff. Someone could come up to me and they could say, I'm bishop, apostle, prophet, pastor, so-and-so from 500 churches I oversee. Uh, That doesn't impress me at all. What impresses and moves me is when I see a heart that follows God, that's obedient to God. And when I see the fruit of the person's life. And the way that you see the fruit of the person's life is through time. It's not in a minute. It's not even in a day. You know, it's through time. And when through time you see the fruit of the person, and I don't care what they say they are, you could say, with all the titles or prestige or degrees or plaques that they might have, if they are not humbly obeying and following God, All of that is worthless. All of that is worthless. So here you see Jonah, and we're to dive um, deep into this book. Uh, Jonah chapter 1 verse 2, it starts like this. God says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So how do you think... Jonah responds. Like some of us, like, you know, we're like, God, if you would just make it clear of what you want me to do. Here, God clearly told Jonah, 
And how do you think he responded? How many of you think he obeyed God? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you think he didn't obey God? Okay, I pretty much just told you in the beginning he was rebellious, so I pretty much told you he didn't obey him. But he didn't obey God, and not only he didn't obey him, we're going to show you a map here in the back. I just want you to see how much he didn't obey. Over here, he was pretty much above uh, Joppa, Joppa right there, and he literally... Instead of going to Nineveh, he went down and went to Tarshish all the way across, 2,500 miles. So not only did he decide not to obey God, he decided to go as far as possible from doing what God wanted him to do, as far as possible. I don't know if you've ever done that before. God told you to do something. You're like, you know what, God? No, and I'm going to run away as far as I can. And that's exactly what Jonah did. He ended up going and getting on a boat. He paid for a fare. So he actually invested money in his getaway, you could say. And he got on the boat. He's going through. And then in the book of Jonah, it says that God allowed a storm to come. And the storm came to disrupt everything. And everyone on the boat, they were panicking. And long story short, they, they ended up waking up Jonah, who was sleeping um, in the bottom of the boat. And they realized Jonah's the problem. Like, and something that's interesting that the Bible says is God brought the storm. So many times in our lives, we think the storms we go through is from Satanás. It's like, ese el diablo que me trajo esta tormenta. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you think it's the devil that brought you the storm? Sometimes we bring our own storms, but sometimes God brings storms too. So here it's clear that God brought this storm and Jonah pretty much said, it's like, you're going to have to throw me off this boat for everything to calm down. So literally, they were afraid to throw Jonah off the boat. They end up throwing him off the boat. The moment they throw, off, throw him off the boat, the storm ends. The storm ends. And then after that is when God decides, God decides to use, uh, you could say, an ocean Uber, uh, pretty much a little taxi, and in, well, not little, a little big, a little big taxi. You know how in Uber you could pick different vehicles? This is like, this is the, like the whale. This is the XL whale, uh, you know. And just so that you know, the Bible doesn't say it's a whale. It just says it's a great fish. We assume it's a whale. Um, so here, the Uber came to pick up Jonah. So obviously here, like, the Uber picks him up. And he's in the Uber, the whale. You, I mean, I'm just going to say whale um, just for you to know uh, as we continue. And he's there three days and three nights, like in that Uber. Now, one of the things, I, like I know a lot of times, like we might think it's like, how is that possible? Like, you know, I've talked to people like, that's not possible. That's not, that's not natural. Like, you know, like how could that really happen? Um, 
All I know with God, all things are possible. All I know that God does miracles. Uh, We know throughout scriptures, there's things that have happened that don't make sense in the natural eye. And in addition to that, though, there has been people that have said to me, well, Carlos, it depends what type of fish it is. Because in some fishes, it's not possible, but there is a possibility in this and this and that. And who knows? There's so much um, conversation with that. So I don't know where you stand with this, but I believe it. And I'll tell you why. Clearly, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 40, it says this. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, this is Jesus speaking, okay? He's acknowledging Jonah, and then he says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be there three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So here's Jesus acknowledging Jonah, acknowledging that he was in the um, belly of a great fish for three days and three nights. And if Jesus believes it, I will definitely believe it. If Jesus said it happened, it happened. It happened. I do want to let you know this, which is worth, the Bible is not 100% clear on this. Uh, There are some theologians that suggest that there's a possibility that Jonah might have even passed away inside the whale and he was resurrected when he came out. So that would almost go aligned with what Jesus said. Just like Jonah was three days and three nights I will be three days and three nights. But the scripture does say that Jonah did pray while he was in the belly of the whale. So only God knows, of course, the very specific details. But all I know is that he was in a whale three days and three nights. Jesus said he was, and he was. And that's it. Jesus said it, I believe it, and that settles it. So after that, after he was in the great fish and the whale, on Jesus's command, the whale vomited Jonah out. So he threw, I know it's a little disgusting, I'm sorry. So he pretty much threw him out of his belly um, at God's command, God's command. So the Uber ride was completed. I don't know if Jonah paid the whale anything for the Uber ride, but he should have. But it took him pretty much near, of course, to where he was. Because at that point, God said, all right, uh, you're going to go to Nineveh? And it doesn't say that he needed any other form of travel. So pretty much the Uber took him very close to exactly the place he needed to be. So when he got there, he pretty much had a seven-word sermon. That's it. Seven-word. He said, 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. He pretty much started going through the streets just saying, you know what? 
in 40 days, this city is going to be turned upside down. Everything is going to be overturned in 40 days. And that was his message. He kept saying it. And he was reluctantly being obedient to God. Reluctantly being obedient to God. And I want us to read what ended up happening. In Jonah chapter 3, verses 6 through 10, it says this. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust, a sign of repentance. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds, or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently, urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. I mean, there's so much in that passage. I mean, one, even the animals were fasting during this time. I fasted many times throughout my life. Next time Willow is fasting, our dog is fasting too. I'm sorry, Jen. Like we saw animals fasting here. Willow's fasting. No, no food for Willow. So even the animals were fasting here. They were all repenting. And you saw God relent and not give the consequences that they deserved. So you saw God's heart, how he's loving, he's merciful, and how he wants, it's all about the heart. He wants your heart to turn around and chase after him. So here is pretty much a city that's living however they want, and they chose to turn around to God, turn around, and God forgave them and relented from anything that he threatened that he was going to do. The people repented. Now, I don't know if you remember, but how do you think Jonah would have responded, should have responded? Here you have everyone pretty much repenting, turning their hearts to God, and you would think Jonah's excited about it. You like, I mean, put it in perspective. Like, imagine in Nineveh, there was about 120,000 people. In the city of Elizabeth, there's probably like a, about 150,000, but let, let's say around the same amount. It's pretty much, imagine if the entire city fasts and pray and turn their hearts to God, turn away from their evil ways, and just wants more, than, more of God than anything else. Don't you think we would be excited? Especially if you know God and you know that that's God's will 
to, for that to occur. Jonah wasn't excited. He was actually angry. He was angry because he didn't want them to repent. He wanted God to punish them. He wanted God to send his judgment over um, them. But of course, we know that God wants to transform his heart. Jonah was so upset and so angry that at a couple times, he ends up saying, God, I'd rather die than be alive and pretty much witness what's happening. Um, But that's just to show you how far Jonah's heart was away from God in the aspect of being like God's heart, despite of the fact that he knew God, he was in ministry, he had a title, he might know all those things, but he was still from God, away from God. So there's a lot in the book of Jonah. And as homework, you should all read the book. It's only four chapters. It's not long. You could read it today as homework. Um, you have all tarea today. But I'm going to highlight four lessons, four lessons that we could take home and apply uh, to our lives. The first one is this. The first one is God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And this is something that we really need to look into our own hearts if we believe it. And I think one of the best ways to see if we believe if God is sovereign or not is our level of worrying about things. I really do. Because I I, I think that you have a choice. You either worry, and worrying is like, uh, my wife said this once, like a rocking chair. A lot of motion, but you're not going anywhere. So, so in a sense, like when you worry, you think you're doing something, but you're not doing anything. If anything, you're, you're frustrating yourself, making yourself more anxious, and, and pretty much um, bringing more situations in your mind of how things are going to um, play out that Chances are it's not going to even be close to that. But worrying, it's, it's like a spiritual cancer, you could say, that really deteriorates you in heart, mind, and soul. So worrying is a, such a bad thing. And what's the opposite? It's trusting God. It's just trusting God. Choosing to trust God. Be like, God, you're sovereign, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what's happening, regardless of what people have said, what professionals have said, what doctors have said, what my boss have said, regardless of what the news media has said, regardless of what my neighbor have said, whatever, whoever said it or whatever it may be, in the end of the day, it's your voice I'm going to listen to and your voice that I'm going to obey. It's your voice that I'm going to allow to lead me and I'm going to trust you, God, because I'm going to trust that you're sovereign. And we see this in the book of Jonah. We clearly see this in the book of Jonah. In the book of Jonah, just to highlight a couple of the things. Number one, a massive fish swallows the prophet at God's command. It was God's command. So God commands a fish to um, swallow a prophet. God commands a storm to come. God commands a storm to end when he wants it to end. God commands the fish 
to pretty much throw Jonah out when he wants him to be thrown out. And something else you'll see, and we're not going to go into it, but in chapter 4 in the book of Jonah, there's a moment where God commands a plant to grow next to Jonah to give him shade. And then God commands a worm to go to destroy the plant. And you see that in chapter 4 too. So pretty much through the book of Jonah, you see God's hand and God's presence and God's sovereignty through all the circumstances, the good, the bad, the ugly. God is interweaving and he's doing something. We might not fully understand what he's doing, but in so many ways, it's not for us to understand. It's for us to trust God. As children, children don't understand everything that their parents do, all the decisions of why they do the decisions that they make. But the children have to trust the parents that whatever decision the parents make is for their own good. The same way us as children of God, we might not understand everything. We don't know what the next hour holds. We don't know what the next minute holds. We don't know the next day, the next week, the next month. But I'm not going to worry about anything because God is not held or bound by time. You know, God is outside of time. So he sees the past, the present, and the future, and he stands outside of time, and he's sovereign over everything. And he's the God that we worship, and he's the God that we serve. Amen? So I have a question for you. Do you trust God um, in God's sovereignty? It's going to be right there behind us. You'll see a 1 in 10. 10 is you definitely trust in God's sovereignty. One is you don't. You don't trust in God's sovereignty at all. And you have to think of a number between one and 10. And you can't pick number five. That's the scapegoat answer. You know, like a lot of times, like, I'm I'm in the middle of something. Like, I'll pick number five. Like, I, I trust God a little bit. I worry about a little bit too. I'm right in the middle. You can't pick five. Where do you see yourself? Not where you used to be or where you want to be, where you are this morning. At this moment in your life, you need to see where you are from 1 to 10. So you need to look. All right, so that's lesson number one. Lesson number two is this. God will move you out of your comfort zone. God will move you out of your comfort zone. So here you have Jonah. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. Didn't want to go. He hated the people there. He didn't want to go at all. And guess where God told him to go? To Nineveh. The very place he did not want to go at all. So so when you see this, you clearly see that God wants to take us out of our comfort zone. He wants to take us out of our comfort zone. And as Christians, one of the biggest errors that we could ever make in our lives, and most Christians make it, is to create a comfortable life for ourselves, pretty much spiritually with Jesus. All we want to have is a comfortable life. And before I even forget, even during worship, I heard God clearly tell, bring to my mind this statement. He said, 
We need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. We need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. So you have to, we all have to get used to when, when things are uncomfortable, like we have, that has to be an area that we thrive in. When things are upside down and don't make sense, when there's problems, issues, certain, when God tells you to do things that don't make sense, you need to step out out of your comfort zone and do the very thing that you know you normally wouldn't do, that you don't want to do, whatever it is, whatever it is. I mean, when you think about it, it doesn't just have to be ministry. It it could be when you think about it here, God is trying to challenge uh, Jonah to go and speak to a a group of people he didn't like. I could almost guarantee there's a lot of people here today that there's people that God wants you to speak to, but we've chosen not to because we haven't forgiven them. We hate them. And I know a lot of people might say, it's like, Carlos, but you don't know what they did to me. I don't. And just because you talk to them and forgive them and you love them doesn't mean that what they did to you is okay. But what you're doing is being obedient to God and allowing God to transform your heart to become more like him. So who knows, right now, this moment in your life, you have your own Nineveh. It could be one person that lives in your spiritual Nineveh, or it could be a family. It could be your boss. It could be a coworker. It could be a workplace. It could be your family, like pretty much your neighbor. I, I, like, I know people that say they're Christians, but they don't talk to neighbors. They hate their neighbors. I'm like, uh, please don't tell them that you come to Christ Fellowship. Please, 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 please. You're going to make us look bad. It's like, you don't, you, don't, you don't even love them. You don't care about them. You don't serve them. You ignore them. And if it was up to you, you'd probably throw rocks at them. You know, it's like, who knows? We need to realize that whenever we choose to say no, It's like whenever we choose that we're not going to end up doing what God wants us to do, we're choosing to be comfortable. And a lot of us, when, when you think of comfort, we think of it has to fit in our agenda. It has to fit in our schedule. It has to fit in our time. We can't be inconvenient. It can't be hard. Where, where in the Bible does it say ministry is hard? Like, it has to be easy. Like, it has to be comfortable. Um, Like, there shouldn't be challenges. Like, you know, like, and we really have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I have to tell you, like, even in my own life, when, when things are not uncomfortable, I evaluate my life to find out if I'm, not doing something that God wants me to do. Because in my life, I've gotten used to being uncomfortable. And I'm going to tell you this. I have grown more spiritually, mentally, like in every way you could say, being outside of my comfort zone than being in my comfort zone. Like, Like, for example, I know people that, have decided, it's like, you know what, like, I, like I'm, I'm never going to share. Or I'm never going to go in front of someone to share God's word, let's say. Let's say if that's the case. Um, 
because of them choosing not to step out of their comfort zone, they're not fully stepping out into what God has them for, to do. Um, like I, I think of like my, my life or other of the teacher's life. Imagine if they would have said no to the opportunity to step out to do what God has called them to do from the beginning. Imagine, I know Pastor Harold is here. Imagine if Pastor Harold having a voice and gifts and talents to do worship and someone said, PH, well, he was, a, let's say this is in the beginning before he was PH. Uh, Harold, little Harold, Haroldcito, like when he was little. Little Haroldcito, you want to go up? You want to sing a song in front of church? Dude, no, 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 not for me. And he imagined little Harold growing up with the mindset, no, I don't want to step out because I'm afraid of what people would say. I'm afraid of people making fun of me. I'm afraid of failing. I'm afraid of not like doing well. And he would have never stepped out and doing what he does now. In the same way, every single one of us, we have gifts, talents, skills, experiences, and who knows what we've said no to. And you know what? Sometimes we're so good at saying no, it sounds very Christian. Uh, like, you know, like, it, it's like, it, it's like you almost, you get Bible verses to back up your nose. I don't even know how you do it. But it's like, you come up with like a thousand excuses of why you shouldn't do what God's called you to do because you don't want to step out of your comfort zone. So here in the back, it's going to say this. Are you currently living outside of your comfort zone? One, you're not. One, you're completely comfortable. You're in a spiritual sofa, uh, pretty much drinking a pina colada, non-alcoholic, okay? Just want to say a pina colada. You're totally comfortable, not pretty much. You're in your comfort zone. And number 10, you're outside of your comfort zone. You feel stretched. You feel challenged. You feel like you're doing things that God has told you to do, even if deep down inside you know it's not what you're comfortable in doing. You need to evaluate your life and see where you uh, are there. So lesson number three, we're going to keep going. It says, you can't run away from God. You can't run away from God. I don't care how hard you try, you can't run away from God. You know, like, uh, don't play hide and go seek with God. He'll get you every time. Don't play manhunt with God. Well, he knows how to, like, if, let me tell you, and don't, don't be playing manhunt with God here in Elizabeth. Because if you try to hide from God and you fall in the Elizabeth River, there's going to be a great fish that's going to come and get you out of that river. I don't know what is going to come out of that river. Something is going to come out. And it'll probably be like a mutated fish, but it'll be like an Uber and it'll take you somewhere. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. I don't know where that came from. But all right, Jonah chapter one, verse three, it says this. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and fail, uh, sailed to Tarshish um, to flee from the Lord. You can't outrun God's presence. You can't. And you know what's amazing is that some of us, we're running away from God's presence and don't even realize we're running away from God's presence. Because if the only interaction you have with God or acknowledgement of God is Sunday morning, 
Between Monday and Saturday, all you're doing is running away from God's presence. Because you're running towards work, you're running towards your school, you're running towards your problems, you're running towards good things, your family, you're running towards um, your hobbies, but you don't even realize it, but you're running away from God because you're distancing yourself from God. In Psalm 139, verse 7 through 10, it says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Now, something I want us to realize, Jonah was running away from God, and God didn't just stand there and say, all right, Jonah, you want to run away? Just do whatever you want. I'm not going to be involved. You know, God was pursuing Jonah. He was wrestling with Jonah, bringing him to a place where he had to be. And there's a phrase that's often said in Christian circles. And I have to confess, I've said it before in the past. In the, uh, years ago, I've said this. The phrase, God is a gentleman. He won't, like, make you do something you don't want to do. You know what I mean? That's a phrase that probably you've heard before. And, of course, ultimately, it is our decision. God is not going to force you to do something. But let me tell you something. He's going to wrestle you to the place you need to go to because he loves you. It's not like as a gentleman, he steps away and it's like, no, 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 you do, you do what you want. I'm just going to stand over here. And whenever you want, you could come back. No, no, no. I thank God that he's a God that pursues us, rescues us, delivers us, no matter where... Where would we be if it wasn't where, like, without God saving us? Where would you be today if it wasn't that God saved you at that time in the beginning? Every single one of us, we have a story of God rescuing us, delivering us, pretty much pursuing us, regardless of how far away our, heart, our hearts were or what we were doing or saying. It wasn't like God just, stood to in the background. No, no, God was pursuing us. And God was doing the same thing with Jonah. And he was wrestling with him to the point where he, Jonah clearly saw what God wanted him to do. I mean, there's moments in my life where I knew that God was making it extremely clear to me that I had to do something, that he wanted me to do something I had to do something and he like to the point that I wanted to walk away from the circumstance and the more I would try to walk away, the greater I would feel God's weight and pull kind of like, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. And for each one of us, we need to realize that we can't run away from God. So here in the back, there's going to be a question, are you running away from God? Number one, you're not. Number 10, you definitely are. 
And where are you in between? Because the reality is just because you're in church doesn't mean that you're running towards God. Just because you're in church doesn't mean you have a relationship with God. Just because you're in church doesn't mean that your heart is close to him. So we need to realize if we're running away from him. And lastly, the last lesson, number four, God wants to transform your heart. Through it all with Jonah, you saw everything that was happening, but God was there wanting to reveal to Jonah what was inside of his heart and wanting Jonah to allow God to transform his heart. I know we're not going to highlight it. We're not going to read it all. But in Jonah chapter 4, how I mentioned to you, here, after everything is happening, Jonah is sitting down, pretty much wishing that he was dead. And God pretty much raises up a plant next to Jonah, gives him shade, and then eventually he, he ends up getting a worm to destroy the plant and even make the weather be like to pretty much frustrate Jonah, you could say. But it was all for a purpose. And while he was talking to Jonah, when you get to read this, he was asking him questions. And it was really for Jonah to examine his heart. God wants you to examine your heart to know where you are today. Because your heart needs to, and my heart needs to be transformed by God, made more like God. And that's the most important thing. God wants our heart to be aligned to his, to be in the same rhythm as his. And what's amazing with God is that God is not looking for perfection. No, there's no one that's perfect except Jesus. God is not looking for you to have your life together. In reality, who has their life together? Who, who has it? God is the one that puts things into order. If, if someone's life looks like it's in order and they don't have God, it's a superficial view of what it means to have things in order. For things to truly be in order, God has to be at the very center. So many people I talk to, they're like, Carlos, I want to get my life together first before coming to God. But when you think about it, that doesn't make sense. The only person that could get your life together is God. You know, you need to come to God with all of your mess, with all of your problems, with all of your worries, with all of your confusion, with all your stress, with all of your fears, with all of your drama, with all of the chaos in your life, with everything, with all the circumstances, all the unknowns, all your dreams, all of the hopes that you have that didn't turn out, whatever might be taking up space in your mind and heart of your world, you need to come to God with all of it, all of it, and surrender it before God. And be like, God, this is all of yours. And all I want is your heart. All I want is more of your presence. So here the question I have for you is, are you letting God transform your heart? Number one, you're not. Number 10, 
your heart is completely laid out 100% before God. And this is a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. The transformation process will take for the rest of your life. Until the day you breathe your last or Jesus comes back, we will always be constantly in that transformation process. If you ever feel like you're not there, uh, I would be concerned because we're always constantly growing. Whenever we read the Bible, one of the things that we need to always keep in mind is trying to see where we are in the story, in a sense. Would you be able to say that you might be Jonah? Are you Jonah? It's going to be there behind me, a picture. You might say, I am Jonah, running from God, running from purpose, and running from transformation. If you're running from God, if you're running from your purpose of what God has for you to do, and if you're running from transformation, you could pretty much say you're Jonah. There's no difference because Jonah ran away from God. He ran away from the purpose that God has called him to do. And he ran away from pretty much God transforming his heart. So with every um, heart, head bowed, I want you to reflect on your life. Because for some of us, we need to acknowledge and declare that God is sovereign. That you're going to trust in his sovereignty above everything else. For others, we have to choose to step out of our comfort zone. You know that you're comfortable. Some of us, you know that you should be volunteering. You know you should be serving. You know you should be involved. And you, cho- you have chosen not to because it's more comfortable not to. Today's the day to step out and to step out of your comfort zone and do things that you would normally not do. Some of us today might have to reach out to a family member, to a friend, to ask for forgiveness, to go to our Nineveh and ask for forgiveness and want to see our friend and loved one come closer to God, or maybe even our enemy come closer to God. For some of us, we're running away from God, And God is calling you home today. He's pretty much saying, stop running away. You can't hide from me. Just come home and surrender it all. And for some of us, we need to truly allow God to transform our heart. I don't know what part of the message touched your heart, but if there's something that you need to surrender to God, I just want you to stand to your feet even now. To stand to your feet as we get ready to close in prayer. As you stand, you, need, you could talk to God. Some of us have to talk about, to God about his sovereignty. Some of us have to talk to God about stepping out of the comfort zone. Some of us have to talk to God about the fact that we've been running away. And some of us have to talk to God about the transformation he wants to do. 
So I want to give you this moment for you to talk to God one-on-one and let him know what's in your heart. Father God, we're completely lost without you, God. Completely lost without you. We need you more than the very next breath we're going to breathe, God. God, we thank you that you're not looking for our lives to be completely in order or for us to have everything put together, God. You want us to come to you with all of our mess, with all of our confusion, with everything. You just want us to surrender, God. And today we surrender, God. We raise our hands even now as an act of surrender. God, you have our heart. You have our life. God, you have everything, God. And we just come to you and we just tell you, God, we just want your will to be done. Your will to be done, God. Forgive us for being comfortable. Forgive us for not doing what you've called us to do. Forgive us, God, for allowing ourselves to run away from you and to distance ourselves from you. God, we commit to you today that we're going to pursue you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our being, God. We want you more than anything else that this world might dangle before us, God. And God, even now we give you our heart, God. We ask you to transform our heart from the inside out. Anything within our heart that doesn't belong, God, we ask you to destroy it, remove it, destroy every wall, every every stronghold, anything that's not of you. And give us a heart like yours, God. Help us, Lord God. Speak the way that you would speak, Lord God. Live the way that you would live, Lord God. And help us learn and to be your children, God, so that this whole world could know that you are real, God, as they see you through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.